Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Porter. I'm one of the senior, I'm the senior pastor here at Faith Community Church, and I just want to welcome you online. It's good to have you with us here this morning, and in the room, it's good to see you as well, or better, I should say, it's good to be seen online. You're probably not going to experience anything different today, but in the room, you're experiencing something just a little bit different today. Uh, On Thursday, I was exposed to COVID, and with all the different changes of the CDC in the last couple days, we just thought it would be best and wise to uh, video this sermon so that I don't turn into a super spreader event here at Faith Community Church um, unintentionally. And so, uh, thankfully, I don't have any symptoms, and thankfully, uh, Lord willing, I'll be back in person next Sunday morning uh, preaching as well. But today, um, we're going to be going about it in this kind of way. Uh, As you can tell from the video, we are in a series called Life on Purpose. And when Jesus calls us to himself, we're going to see this in the passage today, when Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to a, a radical kind of change that only he can do in us. But Jesus not only calls us to himself on purpose. He calls us into his mission. To have a relationship with Jesus is to have a relationship with his mission and in his mission. And he gives us a unique mindset, his mindset, to live out where we bring the good news of Jesus as far and as wide as we possibly can in his mission. So today we're going to be reading from another passage in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, and learning about Jesus' mission, the the radical change he brings into our lives, and the mission that he calls us into when we follow him. Luke 4, we're going to be reading from verses 14 through 30. And if you need a Bible in the chairs in front of you, I highly recommend if you don't have a Bible, use one of the ones in the chairs in front of you. It's on page 859 and 860 in those Bibles there. Again, Luke 4, 14 through 30. Give you a moment to turn there. Verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as, and, ad, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and then he sat down. And then all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. 
Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, every profession or vocation has its little proverbs about the job and how to do the job or what the job is like. When I was younger and was in seminary and doing part-time ministry, uh, during the summers, I worked with a remodeling company. And one of the proverbs in the remodeling, in the remodeling industry is measure twice, cut once. Measure twice, cut once. Well, in seminary, in pastoral ministry, when you're being trained to be in ministry in school, there's, there's a proverb there as well. The proverb goes something like this, and it's especially for young ministry students who are going into their first pastorate. The proverb is, you need to know and remember that those who want you to come the most are the ones who will want you to leave the most. And so the average pastorate, first-time pastorate, usually lasts about three to four years. It's just a warning about what the job is like. Now, if that's true, if that's true, and thankfully that hasn't happened here at Faith Community, but if that's true, the people of Nazareth get the record for being the ones who most want Jesus to come and be there and then turning on him and most want him to leave because in a matter of just a few moments, they turn from praising him to wanting to kill him. We see in verse 22 that when Jesus, when Jesus says that the, that the scriptures have been fulfilled in their hearing, we read that all in the town, all in the synagogue, spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then just one sermon application later, we read this in verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of their town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. They went from praising to wanting to kill him with just one sermon and some application. In God's providence, maybe that's why I'm video recording this, so that just in case you might start out wanting to praise the teaching and end up wanting to kill me, I won't be here, so there we go. But what's going on in this passage? What's going on with Jesus and these people? See, Jesus is announcing something radical and significant about who he is and his mission, that he has come to bring 
freedom and liberty and sight and good news to the poor. But when the people of Nazareth hear what that means for them and what that mission might mean according to Jesus, they get angry at him. We want to listen to Jesus so that we can be ones who experience the freedom that Jesus has come to give us and create in us, but also so that we don't have the same kind of barrier in us that was in the people of Nazareth that kept them from the mission of Jesus and missing Jesus and not just missing him, but wanting to shut him out and do away with him. First, the good news of Jesus and the context of what's going on here. If you remember last week, if you're here last week, we learned from Pastor Larry in the, uh, Luke, the beginning of Luke, that Jesus had a battle with Satan out in the wilderness. And Jesus overcame Satan. Jesus did in that moment, in that time, after 40 days of not being able, not eating and drinking, in a moment of great weakness, physical weakness, Jesus beat Satan. Something that no human being in human history has ever, 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 ever been able to do. Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were overcome by Satan. Jesus is in the wilderness and he overcomes Satan. And because of that, Jesus is uniquely capable and uniquely empowered to set us free as captives of Satan. After this event with Satan and Jesus overcoming him, Jesus goes from the wilderness back into towns in Galilee and he begins to teach in the synagogues. And synagogues are like, sort of like little missional communities all over the place in, uh, in Israel where they would gather in small, in small homes and in rooms. Maybe a room would be set up and dedicated to the synagogue. There weren't many synagogue buildings dedicated like we have church buildings today. They were usually in homes, especially in smaller towns and poorer towns. But Jesus would go in and he would teach. He would teach the people and Reports about Jesus' teaching and his power started to spread throughout all the countryside. And then Jesus goes back to his hometown. He's a hometown boy, the place where he grew up, where the people know him and he knows them. And Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stands up to read the scroll that was given to him from Isaiah and Jesus intentionally goes to a specific spot in Isaiah to let the people know and you and me know what his mission is all about and who he is. We pick up in verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, that is to Jesus, and he enrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61, verses one and two. See the quotation marks, and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops. And he rolls up the scroll again, it says, and he gives it back to the attendant. Then he sits down and the synagogue, you sat down to teach, whereas we tend to stand up to teach publicly. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. What is he going to say? They've heard reports about Jesus. What's he going to say about this passage? And this is what he says. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this passage that was spoken back in Isaiah nearly a thousand years ago or so, it's about me and I'm fulfilling it. This is my mission. This is my mission. Again, it's a quotation from Isaiah 61. To know a little bit about what Jesus is doing here, we need to understand a little bit or remember a little bit about what's going on in Isaiah In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he is called to bring a message of judgment onto the people of Israel because of their idolatry. But it's not just judgment. It is also one of great hope and one of salvation after judgment. And the the context of Isaiah 61 is is envisioning a time in Israel's history that is to come, that, that they were to experience where they experienced exile because they resisted God. They became a godless nation. Even though they, they called out on God, they became a godless nation. They were functional atheists in how they related to God. They were filled with idolatry, worshiping other things other than the living God who they belonged to, who redeemed them. And God sends them into exile. But then God gives all this hope along the way. There's going to be this servant that God sends. A servant who comes, who's filled with power, who suffers along with the people, for the people, and delivers the people from exile. If you were here for our Hosea sermon series, the message of Isaiah was similar. He was talking about similar events and similar things that Hosea was talking about. Where God is relentless in talking to the people, calling them back to him, calling the people of Israel back to him. And even though he's going to let them go into judgment, He will not give up on his promises to them. He will not let his people go. He will stay committed to his people. And he will send somebody to bring them out of bondage. That servant, Jesus says, is me. I'm the one who's riding the world. I'm the one who's making everything right again. Now, just two reflections before we, before we move on. 
One, maybe you've struggled with this. I know I've struggled with this at times where I sit there and I think at times when I see how broken the world is, like how in the world, um, with how broken and sad the world can be, can there be a good God who actually loves us? A good God who actually loves us. And if there's a good God who actually loves us, wouldn't he be stopping all the brokenness in this world? But it dawned on me as I was trying to seek an answer to this question as I was looking at some of the best answers to it and what the Bible has to say about this big problem about the brokenness of the world is that God cares about the brokenness of the world even more than we do. He loves the world. He created the world. And God is determined because of compassion and mercy and goodness and justice in his heart. He is determined to right the wrongs that are done in this world. So when Jesus is saying, I'm coming, I'm coming to release captives, I'm coming to announce good news to the poor, I'm coming to bring freedom to those who are oppressed, Jesus is the one who's righting the wrongness and brokenness of the world. That's what he is announcing. He is that one. Now, there's two parts of this that are remarkable. Two parts of this that are remarkable. One is that this is all about good news. Notice that in the verse, verse 18, Jesus has come to give, to announce and proclaim good news to the poor. A relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus is not about good advice on how to fix your life. It's about good news, good news about what God is doing and we can join in with him and have a relationship with him. It's good news, not good advice. And it's good news to those of us who know that we are in need. This is why when when Jesus starts to announce this after he defeats Satan. We can see that Jesus has the power to do what he says that he's come to do. He has overcome someone, our greatest enemy, Satan. He has overcome him in ways that we're not able to. See, we might live as Americans in one of the most free nations in the world, but we are still born captives captives to Satan, captives to sin, captives to our own sinful desires. Have you ever noticed? I've mentioned this many times before, but have you ever noticed, for those of you who are parents or work with children, no human being ever had to teach another human being, and especially children, how to be selfish but we do have to teach them to share and be generous. That's an indication. It's an indication that we are born captive to our own sinful, selfish desires. And what Jesus has come to do is to bring release to you and me who are captives, to announce good news of what he is doing and that we experience a radical transformation in relationship with Jesus. When you and I 
start a relationship with Jesus, Jesus has done all the work in our hearts. He has opened our eyes. He has set us free from sinful desires. He has set us free from oppression, from the evil one, and from the brokenness of this world. He has done all those things. A radical change takes place in us. Because the oppression, as Jesus defines it, the oppression, the slavery, the captivity, the poverty, the blindness is not first and foremost physical. It can include that. But it's first and foremost spiritual, as we'll see in a little bit. This kind of radical change being freed from Satan, being freed from evil desires, being freed from blindness and made to see. Something that Jesus does, does in us when we begin to follow him. But it's also something that Jesus continues to do in us as we continue to follow him. We offer a course here at Faith Community called Freedom Groups. Here's a story of a woman named Sarah who was a part of our last offering, our spring offering of Freedom Groups. Sarah, this isn't her real name, but she's given us permission to share the story. Sarah knew that she had struggled with anger for many years, yet she didn't realize how her thought life and how she justified her frustration at the people around her, especially one coworker, what that effect was having on her and her relationships, and especially the relationships with her coworkers. Sarah had all kinds of justifications for why she could remain angry with this one particular woman at her workplace. And she, quite frankly, wasn't alone with some of those justifications and real reasons because other coworkers didn't particularly like this woman either. And there was a toxic work environment that was being created. As Sarah went through the Freedom Group material and applying scriptures to her own life, this sentence was written. Jesus helped her realize, Jesus helped her realize that she was part of the problem. She, Sarah, was part of the problem, specifically with this coworker. Jesus, through his spirit and dwelling in her, convicted her about her anger. And she confessed that to Jesus. And she prayed and asked for Jesus to forgive her for the ways in which she had justified her anger at this coworker. And then, it's amazing, she sat down with her coworker and confessed her sins to her coworker and asked her for forgiveness. Thankfully, and in God's mercy, 
this confession and seeking of forgiveness and living in the freedom of obedience to Jesus and not in slavery to sinful desires. It changed the relationship that she had with her coworker. And this change in their relationship affected the toxic workplace that they were in and everybody knew that something had changed. See, Sarah was enslaved as a follower of Jesus to her own sinful desire. She was blinded to the effects that this was having in her workplace and Jesus set her free. And he continues to set people free. Jesus announcing his mission back in the first century wasn't just for the first century, it's for today as well. Jesus is still in his mission of setting people free from captivity, from oppression, of making blind eyes to see and to experience the life that he has come. How is Jesus writing the world? How is Jesus fixing a broken world? One life at a time. If you're a follower of Jesus and you know that there's some things in your life that you just can't overcome, you've been struggling for a long time with them, I want to encourage you to sign up for and register for our next offering of Freedom Groups. Registration opens up on August 18th and the first session of the course starts on September 22nd. Jesus is still, is still setting people free. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please know I'm praying that you would know that you're captive right now. There's things that you do that you don't know why you do them. There's parts of your life and your relationships that are struggling because of your captivity. And Jesus has come to set us free. If you want to know more about experience Jesus' freedom, talk to one of the pastors here. Hit the Next Steps button on our website at fcchudson.com. Get connected with us. Or sign up. Sign up as well for Freedom Groups to learn and experience Jesus opening your eyes, setting you free. This is the kind of freedom that Jesus brings into the world. Now, after announcing that Jesus has come as the fulfillment of these servant songs, of these statements about a a servant who is coming to release captives, it gets a little bit interesting because Jesus knows 
Jesus knows that his audience, the, the hometown where he grew up, he knows that they are misunderstanding him. He knows that they're misunderstanding his mission. And Jesus is going to provoke an encounter with the people of Nazareth so that they can come to grips with what Jesus' mission is. And Jesus knows that he's being misunderstood because, one, he grew up there. He knows the people. But also because they're all celebrating his his news, that this is who he is. They're all happy. Jesus knows that if they fully understood his mission, it would start to reveal some anger in their hearts that they have toward God. So, Jesus provokes them. Again, Jesus starts to apply his message to them by saying they're going to tell him a parable in verse 23. Jesus said to them, that is the people of Nazareth, he said, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. We have heard that you did what you did in Capernaum, do here also in your hometown as well. And he said, Jesus said, truly I tell you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now Jesus makes three, three moves in this application of his sermon to the people of Nazareth in the synagogue. The first one is he lets them know that, you know, I know what you're thinking. You're going to tell me this parable. Physician, heal yourself. In other words, Jesus, we've heard of what you've been doing all around the other places. We know what you've been doing in Capernaum and around in Galilee. We know about that. The reports have reached us. Would you do also here what you have been doing all these other places? But then Jesus moves and he says, look, you're going to say that at one point in time. You're going to want me to do here in your town what I've been doing other places. But I want you to know that I know your hearts and that a different proverb, a different parable is going to be true of you. And it's this. Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. What's Jesus doing here? Why is he pushing? Well, Jesus knows that the people of Nazareth are listening to the words of the prophet Isaiah and his announcement that he's the fulfillment of this prediction. That they're listening through a certain kind of narrative. They're listening through a certain kind of grid. Because we all have narratives, we all have grids. But he knows what theirs is. And their narrative, their, their grid, their narrative and their grid is that we're faithful to attend synagogue we're faithful to, we're faithful to um, be keeping the laws. We're, we're faithful to God and we, we are the oppressed ones. Rome is occupying our town. We're the oppressed ones. We're the ones who are poor. We're the ones who need relief. We're the ones who need to be set free. 
And Jesus also knows, because he hears them, he also knows that they have a sense of entitlement with Jesus. They're saying to one another, when they hear that Jesus is the the fulfillment of these scriptures, they're they're saying to one another, isn't this Joseph's son? I know Joseph. I remember Joseph. And he's the son. He's our hometown boy. This could go well for us in Nazareth. The Messiah, the the servant that the Lord said that he would send, he's he's one of us. And we're from his home. He's from the hometown. We're part of the crew. And Jesus knows that they're becoming focused on themselves and what Jesus might be able to do for them and them exclusively, primarily. The town of Nazareth immediately became selfish. We get Jesus all to ourselves. And so Jesus tells a story, a couple stories. He reminds them of a couple stories in the Old Testament to let them know what his mission is really like and that his mission, though it might start and he be rejected in Nazareth, is going worldwide. His mission is to reach the outcasts the, the kinds of people that the people of Nazareth would never imagine would be reached by the Messiah. So he tells these two stories, reminds the people of these two stories from the Old Testament about defining who the poor are, who the captives are, who the oppressed are. That's what this story does. He's applying it. He's clarifying it. So it says in verse 25, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land of Israel and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. Who are the people that Jesus is sent to? Who are the people, what are they like that Jesus is going to them and wants to include them into, into his mission of restoring a broken world? A widow in Zarephath and a leper named Naaman in Syria, in Sidon. In Syrian, sorry. Who are these people? The widow in Zarephath in Sidon was a widow who she grew up in a Gentile territory and she actually lived at the very heart of the center of Baal worship, an idol. She lived in the city, the capital city of idol factories. And Elijah is sent there to care for her. She was a heretic. 
She was an outcast. She was unclean. And God didn't send Elijah to the people of Israel in the famine and the widows there. God sent Elijah to her. That's where Jesus is going. Outside the walls of Israel. Naaman, the Syrian, was a leper. And at the time, his country, he was a general, an army, and his country was at war with Israel. And there were other lepers in, the, in, in Israel, and Elisha specifically heals Naaman. He too was a heretic. He too was an outcast. He too was unclean. He wasn't poor like the widow was. And so Jesus' definition of poor is bigger than just physical poverty, but he was poor in spirit. He knew that he, he had nothing to give. He knew that he deserved nothing. He deserved nothing from God. And God healed and saved him. Religious outcasts, moral outcasts, they were the ones, they are the ones that Jesus is sent to. As soon as the people of Nazareth hear what Jesus' mission is all about, that it's bigger than the town of Nazareth, and it includes moral and religious outcasts. Jesus is right. They get angry. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They want to stop him from that kind of mission. And this is where the warning comes to us as followers of Jesus, as an established kind of church, is that there's a danger with familiarity with Jesus. There's a danger when you start to grow in following Jesus that in growing to follow him, he starts to change your life and you can start to look down on other people. We can start to look at the world as insiders, like we as a church have an inside take with Jesus. And the rest of the world is just condemned. And we can start to look at the world in a condemning kind of way. The world isn't like us. The world is worse than us. When Jesus sees the world as captives, blind, oppressed, the very people that Jesus has come to announce good news and to rejoice and bring them into his mission and relationship with him. And Jesus also knows something else about a relationship with him. And this is why he, I think he pushes the people of Nazareth to come to grips with what his mission is all about. That if we don't have, as followers of Jesus, if we don't have the worldwide mission heart that Jesus has, we're going to become insider-focused and not out-there-focused. 
Our mission is about making more and better followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. If we lose the heart of Jesus for out there, we're not gonna be making more. We're just gonna be trying to make better. And Jesus is trying to let us know in this that we get more of Jesus. We experience more of Jesus. We grow to be more like Jesus the more that we look at the outsider the way that he does and bring the gospel to announce good news to one another, just like Sarah, who's been following Jesus for a long time, to hear good news about the gospel, to overcome her unbelief, to overcome her sinful desire so that she can walk in freedom of forgiveness with Jesus and with others, and to announce good news, the same good news to the world Too often the church is in the business of condemning the world. The world's already condemned. The world doesn't need to know that it's condemned. The world needs to know that there's good news for the condemnation. The good news for the condemnation. Faith community, we we desire for more and more and more people, we included in that, to experience a gospel-inspired life, a life of freedom in Jesus, a life of freedom from captivity, a life of freedom from blindness and oppression from the evil one and our own sinful desires, and Jesus can give that to us. But that message is not just for us. It's for our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our enemies, our outcasts. Some time ago now, I was in India. And we were in a village in India and there's a group of us there and some a couple guys, a couple young, younger men from that village came up and asked a few in our group, said, hey, why, why, are you, why are you white, rich Americans here in our village? And they said, well, we're here because we're helping people learn about Jesus and talk about Jesus. Do you know anything about Jesus? Have you ever heard of Jesus? And the young man said, Jesus, I think I've heard of him. Does he live in the village down the road? And my heart broke. Here's a man, a young man, who knows nothing about the Jesus of the Bible. And God has us here today, Faith Community Church, in the St. Croix Valley, not in India, but in the St. Croix Valley, in Hudson, Wisconsin. And right here, right now, in our county, in our valley, there are students and there are kids who are growing up in families. And if you talk to them about Jesus, they've never heard of Jesus before. Will our hearts break about that? 
one of the ways in which we are seeking to make more and better disciples of Jesus is with our next generation ministries. That students and kids could grow in being freed by Jesus. And that more and more students would grow and hear about Jesus, possibly for the first time, and how he can change their lives. I want to invite you that one of the ways, if you're not serving with us at Faith Community, serving is a really important way to grow, to grow to be more like Jesus, to serve in a mission like his, with his heartbeat to help people experience freedom. If you're not serving yet in that kind of way, I wanna invite you to consider how to serve at Faith Community. We've got all kinds of opportunities, but today and this month we are emphasizing a really important initiative for us, which is our Next Generation Ministries, where we could see possibly thousands of people experiencing freedom in Jesus, living the life that he came to live, a life, a life of abundancy, of abundance, an abundant life. Right after the service today, we'll have ministry leaders in our next generation for Faith Littles and Faith Kids and Awana and Refuge. They would love to talk to you about ways in which you might be able to be a part of that ministry, both to help Children here at Faith Community walk in the freedom of the gospel and the abundant life that Jesus came to give and to create ministries and opportunities for people who've never heard Jesus before, kids who have never heard of Jesus before and what he can do and who he is to be introduced to him right after the service. Please go and check that out. Now there's one interesting thing that's missing from this passage and what Jesus does here, and I want to close this way. If you're familiar with the Isaiah 61 passage, Jesus did an intentional stop. He stopped reading at an intentional point. Here's the, the context Jesus said, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to build up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus stopped, but the text actually goes on and says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to proclaim the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus stopped. He stopped with saying the year of the Lord's favor. Why? Because Jesus' mission wasn't to bring God's vengeance at this time. When he comes again, there's vengeance. Jesus' mission at this stage was to come and to absorb God's vengeance. When Jesus comes again, it will bring, he will bring judgment on a condemned world, but in this first stage of the mission, he comes 
not to bring judgment, but to absorb judgment. This is why his life ends in death and why Jesus was able to escape in this moment. One of the other writers of one of the other gospels of Jesus says about this passage that Jesus was able to escape because it wasn't his time yet. The people of Nazareth tried to kill Jesus, but he wasn't going to die that day. He's gonna die a different day. It's gonna end with him dying on a cross where he absorbs the vengeance of God, where he absorbs the judgment of God for everyone who's poor in spirit, for every captive who turns to him, for everyone who's oppressed who turns for, to him. He absorbs all of that judgment so that now, right now, until he returns, he can announce and we can experience the year of the favor of the Lord. May we feel that. All the favor of the Lord because Jesus absorbed all the judgment for us. And that the world would hear through us the year of the favor of the Lord. I invite the worship team to come up and I want to ask that you would join me in praying right now for us. Please join me. Father, thank you that you care deeply and compassionately and mercifully about this world. You love this world that you created and you see its brokenness and you are determined to right it. And you're doing that through your son right here, right now, one life at a time. And I ask God for our next generation ministries that you would please use them in powerful ways to raise up children and students to walk in the freedom of Jesus, to experience Jesus overcoming their unbelief and teaching them uh, how to live and the, the gospel power for how to live for you in this world and that more and more and more students and kids and families through these ministries would come to experience the freedom of Jesus. God, would you please be with our church that we would have the mindset of Jesus, that we would embrace the mission that he calls us to as he has made a radical change in our hearts. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.